California, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Write That Down. On the Fight Game Media Network, I'm Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com. I write over at WrestlingObserver.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah, Cyber Fight Inc. And I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, sociologist, broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Thank you for joining us once again. All right, this week's show, I love doing this show. This was a really interesting and fun episode talking about sumo wrestling and sumo's influence on Japanese pro wrestling from the structure to the culture of sumo to the lifestyle and its overall influence that even lasts to this day so much so that whatever we watch from today's Japan today's pro wrestling scene if you study you can really see that sumo's DNA is encoded inside all of Japanese pro wrestling today. And on today's episode, we talked about a lot of sumo wrestlers, but also sumo wrestlers who became pro wrestlers. Of course, Riki Dozan. We talked about Riki Dozan quite a bit, and from he and Toyonobori to Hiroshi Wajima, Koji Kitao, Akebono, Konishiki, Asa Shoryu, Akuho. They're all important, they all had different effects on sumo, and sumo's influence on pro wrestling through that. We talked about a lot of different things, and if you're not familiar with sumo, if you have questions, this is the episode. This is it. This is your primer, okay? Um, hey, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Fight Game Media Network podcast feed, the free feed. It's on Spotify and Apple or wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. It really does help us, so thank you for that in advance. All right, let's dig in to our episode on sumo wrestling and its influence on pro wrestling in Japan. We'll talk about sumo a little bit, then then going to how this sumo system transferred to professional wrestling world by Father Pro Wrestle Ricky Dozen, of course, mm-hmm. who was also Ricky a sumo wrestler too. Yeah, uh, Sekiwake, Sekiwake. See, there's like a ranking. The grand champion is Yokozuna, top. Mm-hmm. Then champion Ozeki. Then you have Sekiwake. Komusubi, then uh, Hiromaku. You know the, the the what you watch on you know TV that the small broadcasting TV, they only show top forty of mm-hmm. sumo wrestling, sumo wrestlers. They're like a, always have um, somewhere between six hundred fifty to seven hundred sumo wrestlers. Did you know that? Mm, it's like an army. Yeah, six hundred fifty to 700 from Jonokuchi to Johnny Dan to Sandame to Makushita. Then you have Julio, 40 guys. Then you have Makuchi, 40 guys. And what you see on TV is just the top, very top 40 guys. But there's another 600 of them out there. <clears throat> and the, the guys we see on television are usually salaried as well, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Maybe not all of them. Uh, of course, during a tournament, if a, if a sumo wrestler loses a lot, that definitely jeopardizes his standing. Yeah, but they don't 
flunk from that uh, that uh, Makuchi ranking that easy. Mm-hmm. You're still mm-hmm. top forty. So, yeah, because sumo wrestler starts when you're what, fifteen, sixteen. It starts from Jonokuchi. If you want to watch them wrestle, you gotta go to Koku, you know, the, the sumo palace, Kokugika, nine o'clock in the morning. You can see them. You know, it's going on all day long until the TV's on, like four o'clock, five o'clock in, in, in the afternoon. You see last fifteen card. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The important matches. <clears throat> yeah, and Ricky Dozan was Sekiwake, very close to Ozeki. Then he quit. Ricky Dozan was sumo wrestler between 1940 to 1950 for 10 years. Yeah. Came from Korean Peninsula. But uh, it's been misunderstood that uh, he he came from uh, no, no, from Korea and his nationality was hidden or something. Well, it's been written up. But uh, you got to understand that uh, there was no North Korea or South Korea when he was born. 1920s you know that uh, the entire korean peninsula was japanese colony back then Mm. he didn't have korean passport to come in he was a kid from colony am i making Mm. sense Mm -hmm. yeah it's like a real history of it i'm not so proud of it having this colony and all these things you know but uh yeah that's real history that uh, for 30 year period the entire Korean Peninsula was Japanese colony as a wartime, and also Ricky Dozan was a product of wartime. Anyhow, that uh, he came to uh, this side of the, the ocean uh, to be sumo wrestler around 1939, and he started as a sumo wrestler in 1940, and he was there for 10 years between 1940 and 1950. Uh, and his rest, professional wrestling career doesn't start till 1951. And that's also when um, it had already been a couple of years after World War II. Um, uh, World War II was over, 1945. During the war, he wasn't drafted, but he had Japanese name, name already then. See, it's this whole the, the colony thing and the nationality and the citizenship thing has to be dealt with. That uh, he had a Korean name. And there was Japanese name. Then he changed his citizenship in while he was in Japan. So he was like almost what we call dual citizen in today's language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because uh, the sumo world was so, so conservative that the, in order to become Yokozuna, that the, you have to be Japanese national, national or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, all in all, he he had two different names: Korean native Korean name and Momota, uh, that the Japanese name. Mm. Yeah, but it's been studied and researched over and over, and uh, it's been dealt with. But uh, he was not Korean. It was a citizen, but uh, the, it was a kid came from colony. Is that what the reality was? And he was so good back home then and then somebody from japan came and you know that uh, picked him up like you know why don't you come over to the mainland japan that meant that, that to become you know sumo wrestler he was so talented so he was there for 10 years and uh, during during the war uh he wasn't drafted but uh, he had you know that all the sumo wrestler volunteered to uh work at the factory and build cannons or, or you know what i'm saying like a building mm-hmm. tanks or manual that, labor yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Then uh, even during the wartime, that the sumo basho was still held, that got smaller, and some of the sumo wrestlers did go to war too. And uh, this is a wartime, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he continued with sumo until after the war. See, the war was over August of 1945. He was in sumo another five years, all the way to Sekiwake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, then, then he something happened between in Heian and uh, some other uh, discrimination and uh, other reasons that. Uh, uh, that uh, he um, he did uh, something unheard of. He cut his mage, you know, the samurai hairdo that the sumo wrestlers have. Mm-hmm. He cut his own mage at his home the one night, nineteen sometimes 1950 September. One night he decided to cut it. You know, uh, once you cut the samurai hairdo, that uh, mage, that uh, there's no no going back, right? Mm. But uh, he went ahead and did so, you know, not thinking about professional wrestling yet. Then he was hired as a construction worker. Then fast forward about a uh, year, Bobby Bronze from from America, w- along with Hawaiian promoter that uh, that uh, Al Karasik, they ran wrestling show, wrestling card for the tribute to the troops, GHQ. GHQ meant general headquarter, the American occupation for six years in Japan after mm-hmm. the war. There was like we have to understand the real history of it. You know, there was a war between your country and my country. And for <laughs> uh, for a couple of years afterwards, technically Japan was uh, not a state, but it was an occupied nation of the United States. Right for a six-year period, mm-hmm. yeah, until that the peace. Uh, that the agreement was signed in San Francisco in 1951 and became effect, uh, 1955, then effective, uh, uh, became effective uh, uh, the, the spring of 1951. That, I mean, only two weeks after that, wrestling came from America already. Right, so it's always had the same or a similar trajectory and a similar uh, pace the rise of wrestling in Japan and when GHQ was dismantled and Japan turned And Japan became today. independent again, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that probably has a, a specific image for a lot of people uh, thinking about Riki Dozan, thinking about sumo wrestling as a important part of that time in Japanese history, 1950s, uh, and to now. Yeah, but the sumo always, always, always existed, though, during mm. the war and after the war, and to this day, yeah. But uh, Ricky Dozan didn't necessarily create professional wrestling in Japan. That the true, that the tribute to troop, uh, by you know, led by Bobby Bronze of America and uh, Hawaiian promoter Al Karasik. And, and the GHQ and the tribute to the troops in Japan. Because uh, even after the peace signing, that the American troop remained in the country for another few years, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, there are the U.S. base to this day, you know? Of course, yeah. In, in Japan. And that uh, Bobby Brown's show had a, a, this... A, the Korean War already started, you know, 1950. And they were on their way to Korea for the for a tribute show that uh, 
what's the big time um, boxing heavyweight champion? Uh, Joe Lewis? Yeah, Joe Lewis joined the show too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was and, uh, doing a lot of that. <clears throat> He's making a lot of appearances with, with the troops, and he'd make his way into pro wrestling too, making those appearances. Yeah, yeah. So the Bobby Brown's wrestling show had uh, that uh, Joe Lewis in there too. So they had the, the September to November of 1951, Bobby Brown's along with, you know, the Obila Aselins to Harold Sakata to like seven American professional wrestlers ran their own show at the Memorial Palace. Memorial Palace was old sumo palace actually. Is occupied, you know, but uh, that was the wrestling tour that the Ricky Dozen decided to join and trained under Bobby Bruns. And after two weeks of training, he debuted against his mentor, Bobby Bruns, 10 minute Broadway. Yeah, but the actual wrestling show with, I mean, like a promotion with Ricky Dozen, you know, the real famous 1954 Ricky Dozen, Masahiko Kimura against Sharp Brothers, that doesn't happen for another two years. Mm -hmm. Ricky Dozen was trained under Bobby Brands in 19, you know, the September of 1951, and he made his debut after only two weeks. <clears throat> And he wanted to bring professional wrestling into the country, you know, to Japan. And uh, he had to convince his old small sponsors and, and uh, corporate sponsors, and I mean, to to make the wrestling you know, to make wrestling company, and to have, you know, to build a foundation to start professional wrestling in Japan. That the, the way he explained what American professional wrestling was, that the, this is Seiyo Zumo. This is Seiyo Zumo. Seiyo Zumo meant Western Sumo. Interesting, huh? Mm. So that was the way that Ricky Dozan got his sponsors to buy into the concept of pro wrestling. Yeah, it's a, West, it's a Western Sumo. It's a big guy wrestling against one another, you know, and the champion, and there's a tournament, there's a championship to be defended, and the big crowd, big business, and, and all these things are very similar to what Sumo wrestling is at the time. So it's like... A, that the, if you explain that to you, your sponsor or the you know money backers that this is going to be I'm going to bring in um, that it's a whole new genre but it's better than sumo it's a Western sumo with American in it. Like, Seiyo, what what's the phrase again? Seiyo sumo. Seiyo sumo. Seiyo sumo. Western yeah. sumo. Western sumo. So if you say if you tell that to people in Japan, it's a Western sumo. You probably get the drift, you know. Mm, mm. It's like a short. Yeah, two big. Yeah, like a two big guy in uh, not the dohyo ring, but the wrestling ring. But it's the same concept, right in the middle of the big arena. The people surrounded 360 degrees, and then the big lighting and uh, you know entrance and a referee to. Uh, it's like, what's the difference, right? So when Rick Dozan and, and pro wrestling began, not just uh, on television in Japan, but the live events, 
people at the live events, when they saw pro wrestling, what did they think or how did they react to it? Did they, did they interpret yeah, it like you, Okay, well, we have to pause that right there, that the 1951 version of pro wrestling in Japan was the, uh, that uh, was a tribute show for the troops for and the GHQ and American you know, population was who were in Japan, and that it wasn't aimed for Japanese audience. Okay, then Ricky Dozan wanted to join. He debuted in front of smaller crowd because he wasn't that the concept wasn't there. Then he was sent to uh, he he went to America for a year and a half uh, to learn the uh, wrestling and the promotion side of it. And he learned to be the promoter. He learned to be the producer. He learned how to run the television production and how to run the year annual scheduling, the whole concept of wrestling company. Okay. That was 1952 and 53. Then that was beginning of television. And the beginning of television was also beginning of professional wrestling. And people in television industry, and some of the people didn't buy it, but some of these people said, well, this is going to be you know, what would change television, you know, that the television, TV itself was new, you know, but what would be on it? Uh, so, so, some of these sport people, like small people, were somewhat against the idea of being on television because if you can watch sumo on something called some, something new, right? Uh, television, then who's going to come and watch, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like NWA National Wrestling Alliance concept, you know, mm-hmm. from West Midwest, you know, uh, like, you know, like when NWA was formed, you know, if you can watch, if people can watch wrestling on television, nobody's going to come and watch us, right? The same mm-hmm. idea. But uh, beginning of television, you needed the killer content. And wrestling was right there. Ricky Dozen studied uh, t- TV in the in, in America, while he was trying, you know, training to be wrestler, training to be a promoter, and studying to be a TV producer, and he was all of it. Okay, and it was important for Ricky Dozan to be on television right away, right away. And uh, it was the beginning of TV that not regular household, you know, had TV. It was that. People of this like like Mitsubishi and these big electric companies, they build TV sets for you know regular home, right? But mm-hmm. nobody was buying it. Like it's way too expensive and new, and not enough wrestling show. I mean, not enough television show. They put TV sets in front of train stations and subway stations, mm-hmm. or the bus stops, or the in front of electric store, or the soba house, noodle mm-hmm. house. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That like let's watch this thing called television um you can watch tv at home i mean you can watch movies at home and movies of course music you know and uh, ricky dozen was instrument sort of like the, the very first killer content of television in this in, in japan that uh, that's why we call it beginning of television was beginning of wrestling and, and the beginning of wrestling was beginning of television mm-hmm. tv made wrestling famous but the wrestling made TV famous too. Mm. Very interesting. And also, all in all, in 1951, 1952, 1953, in the beginning of wrestling, 1954, Ricky Dozen and Masahiko Kimura against Sharp Brothers on live television on primetime, um, they were looking for hero. You know? 
and on, only what uh, eight nine years after the war they were looking for national hero and there was a sports hero and uh, sharp brothers actually a canadian tag team you know but uh, they were introduced as a you know world tag team champion from america mm-hmm. well it's true because they were they were world tag team champion in San Francisco, but they were never introduced as Canadian. Mm. You know, lose something, right? They had mm. to be American. Yeah, but anyhow, that uh, interesting enough that uh, Masahiko Kimura became professional wrestler outside of Ricky Dozen. Actually, that the king of judo. Uh, now that is the MMA, the, that the, your double wrist lock arm lock is called Kimura to this day, right? Mm-hmm. Dark Kimura. Masahiko Kimura had a professional judo, a lot like uh, professional wrestling later on, but uh, this professional judo idea didn't you know, really make it. And he and Toshio Yamaguchi, another judoka, famous judoka, went to Hawaii to be judo instructor and to have judo exhibition in wrestling ring. And actually, uh, Toshio Yamaguchi and Masahiko Kimura were, were professional wrestlers without knowing it. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. It was because uh... they were they were put in the ring, and and, and so they learned the work. You know, it's like they always were that the issue of being work or being shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, all in all that uh, Masahiko Kimura worked in the ring as a professional wrestler and learned the business outside of Rikidozen. And he was going to start wrestling in Japan too, sooner or later. But it was the beginning of television. And uh, it was big sponsored primetime uh, television that the very first Ricky Dozen Kimura Masahiko, uh, Masahiko Kimura against Sharp Brothers match was broadcasted by two stations, NHK and Nippon TV. Isn't that interesting? NHK, NHK and though. Nippon TV. The first night, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nippon TV Channel 4 aired all three nights uh, from the Sumo Palace. Yeah. But the very first night, very new, NHK even carried it. Like sport, professional sport, brand new professional sport from America. Like a post, I mean, essentially post war culture had begun, huh? Hmm. Yeah, it was time after the war. And, and like you said, it seemed like. Uh the nation needed a, a powerful figure or icon after yeah or a superstar yeah and the uh, wrestling baby face is like the your ultimate hero right mm-hmm. yeah but people didn't have really have this baby face heel concept or good guy bad guy concept it was like they they were watching wrestling like a competition of course and the and the underlying um uh... Not story, but it was always basically Japanese hero versus foreign invader. Yeah, yeah. But if you watch wrestling match from like a Sharp Brothers match, they didn't work like heel. You know, they were right, dignified. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was just that was just the the theme that was unspoken. It was kind of in everybody's mind, and that's kind of what yeah, drove Japanese, the psychology. Yeah, Japanese new sport hero against big Americans. Yeah, but the wrestling itself, there wasn't what you would see with uh, someone like uh, Gorgeous George. No, it was pretty athletic, sports-like. And... Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the the fanciest move was like a body slam. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. M- maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. Jeez. Or dropkick. No, maybe, maybe dropkick. Mm-hmm. Or some guy did the dropkick or some guy didn't. But there was maybe airplane speed, maybe. But there was no flying crossbody or anything like that or the tope or anything like that. And those are had a karate chop to finish the guy. But the Ricky Dozan could have wrestling move to, to beat your opponent, right? But he was so smart that uh, it was go- going to be a TV product. And uh, the te- on television, you know, it's not a big screen like movie that the, your TV screen is rather small, right? Mm-hmm. And at, people at the time was watching TV from like a 30 feet, you know, 30 years away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At the train stations, the subway stations, bus stop or the restaurant, bars, that the, the TV sets was something precious that the, if you set the TV on your bar, it's like this is going to be a TV night. Mm-hmm. Or the pro rest night, and uh, the people gather to watch Rick Dozen's wrestling show, right? And uh, they were not exactly sitting right in front of TV sets. I mean, rather far away, you know, like a living room far away. <clears throat> Rick Dozen was so smart to invent that the uh, karate chop that mm-hmm. uh, that's so easy to understand. The one connection in like the connect, you know, the karate chop that uh, connect to your opponent, that guy goes down for sure, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, there was right away, there was idea, is this real, is this for real or is this for sure? You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. But it wasn't even an issue that the people wanted to watch Ricky Dozen win. Yeah, it was know? a story they wanted to hear. <clears throat> oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, whole TV and the Ricky Dozen legacy actually is that uh, it seems a lot longer, like for 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 the next twenty year period or something. But it, Ricky Dozen's era only lasted ten years. Hmm. Yeah. See, nineteen fifty four, Ricky Dozen, Masahiko Kimura, and Sharp Brothers, beginning of television and beginning of wrestling, right? Nineteen fifty four. And he dies December of 1963, just 10 years. Yeah. It seemed to last a lot longer in people's mind, but it was only 10-year period. Then there was going to be color television era begins, and then there was going to be giant Baba era. But for 10-year period, he was a hero of television, and he was more than wrestling hero. He made movies. He was on television all the time. That the, he had that his own Ricky Palace in a wrestling building built. That the, he was going to have golf golf course. That the, all the real estate, the Ricky Mansion, Ricky apartment. That the, he had an apartment. He had nightclubs. He had restaurants. All these things. He, he is. I mean, he had hands on all the jars. Interesting, huh? Total entrepreneur. <clears throat> But that's, yeah, Ricky Dozen himself is really, really great. But the, that's what happens to your star power or during 50s and into early 60s, huh? Was Ricky Dozen on color television? Were his matches broadcast in color television or were they? Very beginning of color, but the, not everybody had a color TV. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I, I feel they like I've tried never in like seen... A 60... 
color picture of uh, color yeah, image of him. I, I've I don't seen think some, that exists that much. There's a little bit of footage out there, but generally, when I think of it, I, I think of he goes on black and white. The film he filmed in Hawaii or his With traveling, Luthes, yeah, yeah, or traveling to to New York or that like a beach in Hawaii, or he's getting out of airplane that was filmed in color on purpose. But not actual wrestling matches like on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In 1962, I guess we have to fast forward a little bit. But the 1962, they tried color television, and Freddie Blassie and Greg Togo had this real—I mean, today's word—big juice, double juice, big bloody, like bloodfest, right? On television, and five, six people died watching it. Right. Right, they were yeah, so real. they were so terrified. Be, or, yeah, or... and then he was so oh, what do you call it the the graphic for for the time, right? And of course, Freddie Blassie is a unique character too. He was, um, I he, mean, he even bites people. I, that's yeah, he was like a vampire, and yeah. uh, he had a, a really distinct look that I think stuck in people's sure. minds. Yeah, like a Dracula look he had. Mm-hmm. With the, the yeah. platinum blonde hair and the blood through it. And yeah, the crazy he made eyes. sure his tights was always white or pink and his you know, his, uh, Freddie Blass's hair was always bleached blonde because he bleeds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that tradition was carried all the way to Ric Flair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta well, you have see the today light too. Blonde, I see it with Cody blonde. Rhodes. Oh, I suppose yeah. That the, then when you bleed, you know it's all red. Mm. And also, Great Togo's, you know, trademark Monica was to bleed too. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And after he, you know, had this bloodbath, he gets up and smile and dance. That's sickening, right? Mm. <laughs> That was on primetime TV in summer, of spring of 1962. And some people or some electric place or store or the restaurant had the experiment color television sets that was on TV all bloody. And people watching it actually died all over the country. Mm. Well, actually, like six people. Then that became the whole issue of television or uh having rest, such such thing called wrestling on television is that right thing to have on television is bad for education mm. bad for youth bad for children bad for television itself bad for the sponsor he went right back to black and white mm. Mm. yeah and it was black and white till like probably 66 probably yeah yeah another three years they went right back to black and white see if you are old enough <laughs> not too many people are you know some of these you know like you have newspaper you know the television section mm-hmm. they tell you that the show if show was black and white or bl- uh, color sure sure see some of like old old show like leave it to beaver mm-hmm. at the beginning it was black and white it became color later on Right, like, right. Like I Love Lucy was black and white first ten years or so. Then later on, it became full color. Sure, a lot. There were a lot of series that existed from uh, black and white, black and white color, color. Right, right. So wrestling was in that era too. That the uh, Ricky Dozen era, all the way till like uh, Ricky Dozen against Destroyer. 
mm-hmm. or Freddie Blassie's single match program. It was all black and white. Or even the footage from Olympic Auditorium, 1962, there was WWA, Worldwide Wrestling Associates, World Heavyweight Title Match in Los Angeles, Ricky, Do- Ricky Dozen against Freddie Blassie. They 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 televised in Japan, but the footage was black and white in America even. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> so some of the shows, just like you said, Leave It to Beaver or uh, I Love Lucy or Ironside or some you know like a Perry Mason or some real old TV show. The beginning was color, uh, black and white, and later on it became you know, color, right? Mm-hmm. So wrestling was the same way. Anyhow, wrestling really grew. In Japan, with television, mm-hmm. and there was never, you know, like a TV studio matches with star wrestler against enhancement talent. It was always name wrestler against name wrestler on TV, from uh, from the arena. Yeah. <clears throat> but what was unique about the today's main topic was how Ricky Dozen brought the sumo culture into professional wrestling in Japan. Mm. There's a hair system, you know, like a dojo system that the rookies and like a shindeshi, right? Mm. Rookies all lived in dojo. Small way of doing it, you know. They weren't being paid, but you can make living by living in like a stable of, you know, rookie stable of wrestler training and eating and sleep and breathe and again that the you know wake up and practice and work out and eat and sleep and you know, same thing over and over until you become somebody at the sumo system right mm-hmm. and that the nippon pro wrestling had that too that the older young guys living in there and actually like a half the wrestler in ricky dozen era came from sumo you have toyo nobori you have uh yoshino sato that uh, or even the Grand champion Azuma Fuji was a professional wrestler for a while. Some of these people came from judo, like a Kokichi Endo or Mas- early, Mas- you know, Masahiko Kimura and Toshio Yamaguchi. But a lot of these people, uh, uh, the early wrestler, came from directly from Sumo World. Kiyomigawa, that the Suruga Umi, that the lot of lot of guys, and actually younger Sumo wrestlers, you know, looking at Ricky Dozan and thought, I want to do that. Instead of this, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Toyo, Toyo Nobori and the Yoshino Sato later on became stars, right? Yeah, sure. They were like Rick Dozen's protege back in 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 the sumo days too. They wanted to follow, you know, like a like a big brother Rick Dozen. I want to join you. And they were like, like people like Yoshino Sato's case. He debuted as a wrestler days after he joined. Because he was already a sumo wrestler, a name sumo wrestler, and uh, didn't know much wrestling, but uh, he was big enough and tough enough and strong enough and uh, has a condition to work in the ring. Put him in the ring. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. was a different style that was uh, people were doing back then, and you really had to have some sort of athletic background before. Of course, of course. Either you are either judo or sumo, huh? I guess that's it, right? Unless you're, yeah. fr- and that's excluding um, people from out but of the country. Young, 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 young Hiro Matsuda was a baseball player in a in a, in a truck. Oh, seventeen-year giant Baba baseball player, but the major league baseball player, like a mm. Giants. You know, he was like a golden rookie. Whereas seventeen-year-old Antonio Inoki, who was discovered in Brazil by Ricky Dozen, he was shot putter. 
truck runner. Mm. Yeah. But the tall, young, gifted athlete, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, so Inoki, Kanji Inoki, before he was Antonio Inoki, 17-year-old Inoki was very, like, rare case that uh, this is this guy is going to be somebody. Mm. Ricky Dawson knew it. And he, too, that the 17-year-old Ricky, uh, Inoki was living at Ricky Dawson's home. I mean, same house, mm. you know? Kind of like your stable, you know, or that... Uh, Yes, you know, Ricky Dozner had his his stable of young wrestlers that the young 17-year-old, you know, Inoki didn't even live in, in at the dojo that the, Ricky Dozner made him living at his house, but also worked as butler too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's kind of what you gave. I mean, you would sacrifice all of that because you would get in return. You wouldn't have to pay your... Day, you know, uh, monthly bills you would have a roof over your head you would have food you'd be taken care of in general your responsibility though would be to the house and also Ricky Dozen brought the sumo culture another way that the, in Japanese re- pro wrestling dojo they eat chanko food mm, that's right after practice yeah like a sumo food I mean to gain away you know like you have pound and pound of rice you eat and the vegetable and right vegetable and meat and chicken and fish and boil up and you just eat the quantity of food every day every meal right to mm-hmm. put on weight and that's a small tradition that the Rick Dozen carried from sumo world into pro wrestling yeah and I think uh, even today you see a lot of wrestlers both pro wrestlers and sumo wrestlers as they get older they 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 stop they're not as active some of them get very very into making food and making chanko nabe yeah there's open the chanko restaurant yeah open a chanko restaurant a lot of sumo wrestlers uh a lot of sumo wrestlers do and if you get off on 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 the ryogoku station on jr you see Tons of tons of chanko restaurant to this day. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's where all oh, the action even, is. Yeah, and uh, even today's profe- you know pro wrestling dojo, I mean modern pro wrestling dojo in this era, they still eat chanko food at the wrestling dojo. Mm-hmm. I heard it's that healthy... um, Kuniaki Kobayashi is, is sort of uh, well. Oh, yeah, he's a, his... he's a good chef, yeah. real good chef. And doesn't he make uh, the <laughs> nabe at? New Japan's dojo still? Yeah, but he was never he was a sumo wrestler. Right, he right. came to New Japan dojo in Kuniaki Kobayashi I'm talking about. He came to New Japan dojo in 1972 when he was like 16, 15, 16. And Tayo Nobori looked at him and said, you should go to sumo. But uh, that uh, 16-year-old Kobayashi said, no, I don't want the big belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, Taya Nobori apparently thought that Kobayashi would make great sumo. <laughs> but uh, mm. Kobayashi mean, was yeah, like he le- yeah, learned how to how to cook, you know, all the ch- you know, different flavor chanko. And he was chanko also includes steak and and uh, ch- chicken barbecue and all those things. Chanko doesn't mean chanko doesn't mean it that you know big, you know what do you call the big pan or the, the hot pot what do you call, hot, yeah not just that but the chanko means oto chan and oka chan and to chan ka chan everybody 
know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Father, mother, and kids, they all eat out of that pan, you know? So that's chanko. That's the origin of the word. Tochan and Kachan and Nichan and you know all the Nechan and all that, you know. Uh, if you didn't pick up pick up the word, it's like a father, mm, you know, mother and yeah, and then sister and brother and all these things. Tochan, Kachan, it's all chans. That's you somebody call you uh, Justin Chan, maybe? <laughs> uh no. If they did, they were probably trying to make fun of me. But not uh, really. Yeah, you but know, the chan is a friendly but friendly name yeah it's okay. it's a diminutive you, you say it to um oh gosh how, how do you explain it to it, it's kind of like um you know you have the name michael but if you're younger mikey, mikey exactly yeah 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 or james and Bob, jimmy, jimmy bobby yeah bobby yeah it's not exactly the same but it, it's the the same very uh, similar feeling you get the same well, some feeling. people call me fumi-chan i well, you know, I, I'm not a fluent Japanese speaker, so I, I can't. I don't think my experience uh, is <laughs> worth speaking too much about. But yeah, but anyway, it, basically, what it meant is it's a it's a endearing way of addressing someone yeah. you know. So all the chans are eating the the chanko food at, at your same pan, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that the chanko culture was transferred from sumo world into professional world. And also, Ricky Dozan brought all the inside term from sumo wrestling into professional wrestling. Oh, yeah? Like, which, he, which words? Oh, like, uh, Gotsan or, you know, Shiko or Teppo or uh, Kimboshi or Hoshi or the girlfriend, the fiancé, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, drop the card meaning like you you know you throw a fight uh that uh, mm. all these inside term came from from sumo into mm. wrestling world and they, they stay to sumo, this day uh, all the wrestlers still use it mm-hmm. yeah or the traditionalists like jado gedo still use it on purpose mm. yeah yeah like uh, how do you you know like call somebody's girlfriend hoshi means star or the kitamuku like uh, facing north meaning like you got, you're pissed you know mm. it's like all these inside term this is when you have inside term there's like a almost like a closed society only the inner circle knows what you're talking about right and yeah sumo has a lot of that too in its yeah right. oh of course i mean the whole vocabulary of it the whole dictionary of it and ricky dozen brought the inside term of sumo wrestling into pro wrestling and therefore Outsider don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. That too is very similar similarity between sumo wrestling and professional wrestling. Like a, you, like almost like a kayfabe, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like a kayfabe in a similar word is like a bonaka in sumo in a sumo's term. Yeah, it's every single one of those words still exist. Hmm. Yeah, don't necessarily use it anymore. It's sixty years later, but uh, I. I have the whole whole chart of words, you know, that the uh, that the small inside term that uh, means like I mean that some of these inside term became regular words like a gachi, meaning like a shoot, but it's like today's young people use it like a gachi day. It's like, do you know what you're talking about? It's like a seriously in like a Japanese slang. Ah uh, ah uh, ah! Uh, yeah, I see. Yeah, 
So uh, that the language, inside language existed. And uh, what I'm talking about is like a small inside term and pro-wrestling insert term was so similar that the Rikitozen brought all the vocabulary over to wrestling. Isn't that interesting? And you can see it that when you know that, you can see that it's in the DNA of pro wrestling in Japan. <clears throat> Yeah. From, sumo, from sumo yeah but the mentality was similar that's why mm. you know because you don't let people in because ricky dozen's professional wrestling was always been professional wrestling meaning work you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but you don't want outsider to know anything about it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah it was always ricky dozen's era it was always treated like people talk about being like a show or being openly say but that's fake right so mm-hmm. they all the the, the 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 mentality was always there or the people's general understanding of this wrestling being a show business or the summer entertainment sometimes real sometimes not that's how they understood you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it's kind of like 1950s 1960s professional wrestling in america you know people wonder about it it was was not fully exposed like today's wrestling you know what i'm saying sure yeah Yeah. so that it was very very similar from right from the get-go and even down to the the training techniques i feel like uh the system for warming up um squats splits squats uh, thousands of them yeah mm -hmm. uh yeah and uh conditioning and repetition practice uh the the but way- the Japanese people put more seriousness into it. That's why somebody like a Carl Gotch, who was almost outcast in American wrestling scene because he was so serious in training. But the Carl Gotch was brought in 1962 that he fit right right in. Japanese wrestler wanted to be, be trained by Carl. Mm. And that goes all the way to 90s or year 2000. Not not just Ricky Dozen era, but uh, Inoki was trained under Ricky Dozen. I mean, uh, Carl Gotch, uh, the, the Sakaguchi, all uh, Fujinami, Ricky Choshu, all the way to like Akira Maeda to Masakatsu Funaki to Minoru Suzuki. To, 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 it's almost today's wrestlers. Mm-hmm. That Korogach philosophy, you know, came and stayed in Japan. That's why he's a god of wrestling in Japan, huh? And you can tell how wrestling slowly got farther and farther away from sumo roots in general. It, it evolved yeah, well, into what it is. Today's New Japan pro wrestling, yes. But uh, the DNA is all there. And, and a lot of uh, really important pro wrestlers from Japan were sumo wrestlers before they were pro wrestlers. Not yeah, just a lot of uh, Grant, you got three or four grand champion sumo wrestlers turned professional wrestlers. First, I talked about Azuma Fuji, right? Mm-hmm. Grand champion Azuma Fuji and was uh, was Ricky Dozan's tag team partner for three-year period, then quit again. Then there was... Um, Hiroshi Wajima in Baba's era. Remember mm-hmm. Wajima? Yeah. But he had six years after retirement and he had a big dip or something and then he wanted to make money and wanted to be a wrestler and Channel 4 uh, Nippon TV loved the idea of Wajima becoming a professional wrestler so he was put in the main event situation right away. The debut match was against Tiger Jeet Singh, main event. You know, the first year Wajima already 
had a title match against Ric Flair or something, you know. Then there was, then there was uh, Koji Kitao, if you remember. Yeah, he was a big deal. He, I, I, I saw him. He debuted at Tokyo Dome against Bam Bam Bigelow, the perfect opponent for somebody, something like that, right? Right, right. Yeah. He was introduced to me when I was really young because I remember him at WrestleMania Seven. I mean, they were. Oh, okay, okay. Him and him, okay. And, Tem, him and Tenru were. Tenru were, came in. Yeah, Tenru wasn't wasn't a grand champion, but he was also Makuchi. That, that's uh, right. The, the top forty, you know. The small grand, you know, the, the uh, top forty cluster, you know. Mm-hmm. Then he high turned the yeah, high ranked, and but the Tenru turned prof- to, to be professional wrestler when he was twenty six, young enough, and was sent to in Amarillo, Texas, trained under Funks. The transition was great, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the, you had you had Akebono, you That's know, right. the Hawaiian American. Also, small Yokozuna Grand Champion turned uh, professional wrestler, but he chose K1 first. Remember? That's right. He did. Yeah, do... Akebono. Well, but what kind of small wrestler would be a good kickboxer? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was also at the time when K1 was one of the, maybe the top promotion in the world, and also like uh, was always on primetime television special. You know, and then also would be you'd be making. Um, mega amount of money per match with K1. Whereas mm. if you sign with wrestling company, you'd be working all year long, you know, and then right. annual, you know, like uh, you signed for half million dollar contract, but that's for one year. And you might be making uh, that kind of money with one or two matches with K1 at the time. And also his family, in, in, in Akebon's family was against the idea of him becoming a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. See, Akebono admits that he was big wrestling fan growing up, you know, in Hawaii. Every Saturday afternoon there was wrestling. All the kids are gone from the street because you go to somebody's house and watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was big wrestling fan as a kid, and he wanted to take on uh, professional wrestling, and he, which he did a little bit. I mean, after K1. Yeah, he did even. Um... It wasn't just K1. I remember he had tried MMA pride, fight, rising. Oh, oh God! Bob, Bob ah, yeah, yeah, that era, yeah. Mm. But he was already famous. That he was put in the ring because he was such a celebrity, former grand champion sumo wrestler, and spoke two languages. He spoke, of course, English and fluent Japanese, and a big, huge superstar. And everybody knew Akebono, you know. Then people wanted to watch what he tries next after mm. sumo, you know. And uh, he was rating magic, you know. And uh, yeah, but that MMA and you know K1 type kickboxing career would only last a year or so, right? Mm. You could only have what a 10 to 15 fight. Uh, out of your life, you know, and uh, finally he became professional wrestler. He always wanted to see if he turned pro wrestler, Akebono turned pro, pro wrestler right after uh, pro uh, sumo career. That he probably had a longer career as a professional wrestler, mm. and also he would, would have been loved like uh, he 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 could have done like Abdul the Butcher style, you know, kind of overweight almost, but he can be like really loved, you know what I'm saying? You think so? Oh, yeah, because he, he moved, you know, like really charming. His diving, you know, like a splash, the, the diving headbutt, 
or the I mean, like he emphasizes his body and body size and uh, he, he yeah in professional wrestling he he had better aura as a wrestler than uh, than the MMA fighter mm-hmm. yeah actually I, mean, like, I had the chance just just so happened I got to see him in pro wrestling settings a, a number of times when I lived in Japan for yeah. couple, like uh, all Japan or big Japan or wrestle yeah on. yeah uh, he was teaming with Yotahama for a while, who's another sumo. Another sumo wrestler, yeah. Um, he's, I mean, the thing that people got to realize about Akebono is how tall he is, too. He's a very, yeah. he's a big, big, big guy. Uh, is he, Yeah, when he does an elbow drop or something, it's like, it looks like you killed the guy, right? Yeah, it's that elbow drop is exactly the image that comes to my mind from watching yeah. him at those shows that huge elbow that's what drop. i said about the like abdul the butcher style yeah i see yeah yeah like a big it's like a elbow drop or the what do you, what we call a flying sausage i mean just splash big splash that, yeah yeah that can be just finished right there simple sure yeah um and also he looked like he was enjoying doing it right I think so, unless he, you yeah, know, he had an injury. K one situation and the pride and the MMA situation. He didn't look like he was enjoying himself. I mean, those were uh, <clears throat> some of those matches were just brutal. I I, it, I wouldn't want to watch them again. But I, they were big deals at the time, and they were real. I remember, mm-hmm. of course. I and remember. also, if it was MMA or K one or the pride or you know kickboxing fight. Network television will carry the show on your prime time. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Akebono was... Yeah. Oh, oh. I was just going to say that Akebono, too, just his name alone holds even more weight than other kickboxers at the time, MMA fighters. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, he was was the big name. He was the name of the Real big name. Real big name. Yeah. And he had love for pro wrestling, and he wanted to do it as a kid, and he finally did. And uh, while he was doing it, I think it was success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Azuma Fuji, Hiroshi Wajima, Koji Kitao, and Akebono, four grand champion sumo wrestler, Yokozuna status. That the Yokozuna meaning grand champion, not the Rodney Yokozuna, but mm. the Yokozuna ranking sumo wrestler turned professional wrestler all four of them yeah it was yeah mixed bag but uh still celebrity and success in rating and and the people yeah we should go back and talk about koji kitao again because he's <clears throat> one of those uh sumo experiments that went kind of the other way yeah i guess he had a different idea of professional wrestling that he wanted to do like Hulk Hogan, and he wanted to do it right away. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> seemed know? to not, he didn't have the same kind of love that Akebono had for pro wrestling. Right, right. Especially growing um, up. Yeah, he thought probably like after being Yokozuna in sumo wrestling and retired rather young, and uh, everybody wanted him to be be pro, pro wrestler. Like uh, it was like a money written all over him, right? Mm. And uh, he wanted to dress like Hulk Hogan. He wanted to work like Hulk Hogan. He was doing the leg drops and, uh, you know, like a ripping T-shirt and all these things that he was like a laughable, right? Almost, you know. And the people really hated him because of it, <laughs> you know. It just worked against it, right? Like he thought he would look like Hulk Hogan 
when people didn't think he did. And uh, but the New Japan actually, he, he never really belonged to. I mean, not not signed. He he wasn't signed. The, the exclusive contract with New Japan. He had another company, you know, like entertainment company, in between, and that that entertainment company signed with New Japan. Therefore, it wasn't direct. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. on tour situation, you be on the tour bus, right? Mm-hmm. And the Kitao alone had to be on the bus himself. Then there was a big falling out with then big Booker Ricky Choshu. He didn't respect Ricky Choshu. You know, it was a this is a real bad thing that the Booker in wrestling is somebody that the boss in your dressing room is giving everybody finish. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Kitao him, you know, apparently felt that he was above that. Not good, huh? He came in with um, a much different idea of the pro wrestling, like the system. He, you know, coming from sumo. well, if it was work, but he felt that the, if it was all work. That he should be the winner or he should be the champion right away right all given and it wasn't no such way that uh, you know booker ricky choshu put kitao with big van vader in the ring <laughs> he didn't understand that the business side of it didn't seem like it, it, he seemed like he treated everything like it was still a sport or if it was work he should be put in the put over Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, professional wrestling is a lot more complicated than that. And Ricky Choshu gave him an answer. All right, okay, have a single match against Vader. You know. And <laughs> Vader is not going to be easy on you, right? Mm. And also, just as big, every bit as big as Kitao physically and experienced, great timing, execution. Uh, even the expression that the, the people took Vader big heel at the time, right? But for the single match against Kitao only, that the situation, people are cheering Vader like crazy. Beat Kitao, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because <clears throat> it's almost like, you know, Kitao was the outsider in the situation. Yeah, and then he didn't really mingle. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, for the debut match against Bam Bam Bigelow, Bam Bam Bigelow was there to do business. Perfect, right? Mm-hmm. But that made Bam Bam Bigelow famous in Japan overnight. Everybody knew Bam Bam Bigelow right away. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. he lost the match, but he was doing cartwheels and doing this and doing this. All the charming Bam Bam Bigelow spot. It's like, a, I love this guy, right? I mean, he yeah. looked like nothing else anywhere in the world, not just in Japan, but in the States. I mean, he was one of those. He, very he special. Very memorable. Oh, yeah. Talking about Bam Bam Bigelow, see, he was like uh, the, the ideal wrestler to do that, you know, business. Or the, I wouldn't want to say job, uh, basically job. But uh, Kitao against Bam Bam Bigelow, right? Mm-hmm. When... New Japan brought the former Soviet Russian Olympic wrestler like Hashimikov. Mm-hmm. You know, he was put in the ring with Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow do that, you know? Mm. Or the, if you remember WrestleMania 11 or 10, that the LT, Lawrence Taylor. Of course. Famous that main event. Of WrestleMania, Bam Bam Bigelow was the person to do so. 
Yeah. And so, and it wasn't a disaster. It was a really amazing. It looks like a regular match. It, it, he made <clears throat> Lawrence Taylor look pretty to competent. Ben, ben Bigelow. Right. That's yeah. I mean that. So, Russian Hashimikov, the Yokozuna Kitao, and uh, LT. That's that's like a Bam Bam Bigelow's legacy right there. So Bigelow's fine with Kitao, but uh, Leon White Vader, he that's completely another story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. He was ready to chew him up in the ring legally, <laughs> not legally, but the, you know it's a work. But uh, you do everything so stiff and snug that uh, Kitao didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And later on, there was a after after he you know quit New Japan, there he turned into Kitao turned into karate fighter, and uh, he worked you know UWFI. And there was a famous single match, Nobuhiko Takada against uh, Kitao. That's and, right. Uh, famous and, knockout. Uh, famous knockout. Yeah, it's like Takao Takada was all ready to do so, and uh, he did what he did, and uh, it was the end of Kitao's story, you know, and uh, he didn't become the star he could have been. Yeah. See, the Yokozuna grand champion sumo wrestler turning to sumo is always very complicated story. See, the Hiroshi Wajima grand champion sumo wrestler didn't quite make it as a star as a wrestler, you know? He wasn't... Uh, yeah, the I Kitao... Mean, wrestling, it wasn't very, um, I guess, what is it? He didn't There's... understand wrestling all the match because he was never a wrestling fan. You know? that, and his the, his kind of athleticism is not what was really what what he needed for pro wrestling. He wasn't very. And also, he was almost forty when he turned pro wrestler. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But he was rating thing that the uh, Baba didn't probably didn't want him that much. But uh, it was prime time that uh, Nippon TV Channel Four was all ready to put all Japan programming on seven o'clock at night prime time back again. They needed some star, and he wanted to recruit somebody like Wajima. It was a perfect timing, you know. Mm-hmm. But only lasted two years altogether. Yeah. 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 So it's a mixed bag. But the uh, Tenru wasn't grand champion, but the, he turned into super pro wrestler. Yeah. Mm. And he's, yeah, mo- he's big definitely... Uh, success. I mean, yeah. Oh, the most yeah. successful uh, former sumo wrestler. Yeah. He, there are I, so many of them. Like Akira Taue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. 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 Akira yeah. Taue. Oh, we, we actually forgot to mention when we were talking about Koji Kitao, there was one instance he had a famous kind of falling out right before the takata ko it was with him and john tenta in japan oh wow see for kitao's eyes john tenta uh, physically big huge right mm. but uh, he was super low-ranking sumo wrestler and right. in kitao's mind he's still yokozuna the grand champion ranking wrestler and uh, the booker WWF Booker, the Tokyo Dome, and the Kobe, you know, the big, huge, big house, big show, right? That uh, big jump Tenta was put over on Kitao, and Kitao wasn't happy at all. You know, he wasn't about to do it, you know? And he grabbed the house mic and said, it's all fake. It's like, what? You're fake, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not something then, that the fans, well, I mean, how did the fans react to that? Did they know what was even going on? But he grabbed the house house mic and go went on his own business. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 
it wasn't scripted that the Kitao, you know, made up, you know, like a mic calls, you know, grabbed the house mic and said that the, this is so fake. You know, it's like it just, but the John Tenta handled himself very well there. Mm. And uh, according to John Tenta himself, after he went back to, uh, you know, America, and then he, they, all the boys heard a story. There was a shoot, right? And then uh, it's like everybody at from WWE dressing respected him more after that. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. At the Kobe show, what was interesting, uh, that the Kitao and John Tenta match, that the American dressing room was all ready to have a, you know, like a real backstage bra, that... Uh, Hulk Hogan, Randy Matchman Savage, Bret Hart, all these guys, they cleared the desk and all the, it was all ready to you know, welcome Kitao for the fist fight. Isn't mm-hmm. that interesting? That like was the camaraderie. old school. Yeah, the old oh, school. The, talking about, but Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, people like that, they were all ready to fight. Protect the business. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a completely, I mean, that's what, it's a complete disrespect of the industry. And, and he essentially. And the Kitao was very much stranger in, in that, you know. He was never completely a professional wrestler, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, yeah. Yeah, I remember that because it was a SWS, that the Super World Sports, that the money company that only existed for you know, like a two-year period, that the Tenru was signed and the SWS stole dozens of wrestlers from all Japan and all Japan, you know, had to switch all the lineup. And, and that's how Misawa and Kawada, Kobashi all became huge superstars because people supported that the, the at uh, one point, like almost skeleton, you know, crew, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, that made all Japan new era. It's very ironic that the big money company SWS didn't really make it, you know. But uh, Tenru himself alone was a star, but everything else just fell apart. And uh, the, the John Tenta Kitao, uh, the match or the shoot thing was very, very symbolic in that. Yeah. And like you mentioned, interesting. I almost forgot about that, you know, because you know why? Because at the time, uh, my our magazine, Weekly Pro Wrestling or Baseball Magazine, show, was banned from SWS show, and I didn't go to the show. Really? Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah magazine and the SWS company, Super World Sports Company had a big fight that the, our magazine were was not welcome at their show. Then we didn't print it, you know, and mm. only Gong Magazine, you know, covered it, you know. Mm. But if it weren't, if the man, that the both magazine covered the event, it wasn't a big deal, you know what I'm saying? Right. It made Gong look like exclusive, well, on front cover, yes, exclusive, but it was like something wrong with it, you know. It's on one magazine, the other magazine didn't have it. It's like people knew something was really, really wrong in that picture. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It was the very beginning of nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of things came up. But uh, we, today we're talking about the sumo elements in Japanese pro wrestling. Oh, there's a lot of it, huh? Not just Ricky Dozen era, but all the way to Kitao era to all the way to Akebono era. Oh, interesting. Sure, like you mentioned, Akira Taue, even it wasn't just in New Japan, it was all Japan too. There's Taue came from uh, Sumo. Um, yeah, even today, there's uh, the younger guys 
pro wrestling Noah Yoshiki Inamura was from Sumo. The All Japan's Saito brothers are from Sumo. Oh, they are the former Sumo. Not high ranking, but no. the tall, real tall, good looking two guys. Yeah, brothers. Yeah. But they're, they're the very Saito brothers, I hear. They're like a really adventurous kind. That the, They weren't even Sumo fans. They just tried Sumo wrestling for 10 years when they were young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they want to travel the world and see the world. And now they, you know, trans- transition themselves into professional wrestler and spent six months in America. Now came back and they are full-fledged, like a full-time pro wrestler now. You know, mm-hmm. very interesting. That Saito Brothers is somebody to, yeah, look for. Yeah, just, uh, they would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, and earlier you mentioned uh, we were talking about Bam Bam and LT at WrestleMania 11, but that also reminded me at WrestleMania later on, if we fast forward, there was a big sumo element <clears throat> one year. Akebono against Big Show. Yeah. And yeah. Was probably sumo one of the... Association wasn't happy about it, but uh, after they uh, had a result, because it wasn't really scripted, they really had a sumo match, mm. you know, as big as Big Show was. No match for Akebono if we had a small match. Yeah. They put on the mawashi tights like your <laughs> sling, right? The, yeah, the, the sling, the, the belt <laughs> with the OB, the belt around the waist. And the, the whole thing, yeah, yeah. And they really had the small match. And uh, it was even for a while, but uh, when Akebono got serious, whew, no match. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right, there was a sumo match during WrestleMania. It was only ten years ago, so. I think maybe a little bit more than that, but a little yeah, bit longer. Right? Yeah, but yeah. still, Akebono actually traveled to America and worked, you know, WrestleMania against. It has to be somebody like Big Show, you know. And that was kind of between his MMA and pro wrestling uh, in Japan. Right, right. So he pretty much decided to go with pro, pro wrestling, then. Yeah, it was very mm. interesting. So it was like also during very much, you know, the, the dark era, you know, of professional wrestling in Japan too, though. That uh, the time wasn't the greatest, you know, mm. for pro wrestling. <clears throat> yeah. We should also talk about, since we're on the topic of uh, WWE, uh, wrestlers like Yokozuna, not the grand champion, but the, the wrestler. Uh, Rodney Kuna. Anwai. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or, or and also Rikishi. Rikishi. Yeah, cousin Rikishi. Rikishi means sumo wrestler in Japanese language, right there. Mm-hmm. Rikishi. Yeah. And the, his gimmick was essentially the the original the same gimmick. gimmick. Yeah, at first. Yeah. Right. With mawashi obi and all that sumo, mm-hmm. you know, get up. Yeah. Banzai drop. Banzai drop. Yeah. In 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 also a st- uh, stink stink face. Stink face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah using your too. butt. Yeah. 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 Really pulling up the uh, Mawashi. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, and then he kind of turned into. But that's uh, the, the comic, uh, comical, you know, element yes. aspect of sumo wrestling that, that is like American interpretation of sumo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the sumo is very interesting. You know, so the real sumo tournaments going on right now. And uh, yeah, uh, that tradition is still there. The sumo wrestling exists and professional wrestling, you know, the coexist in Japan. Mm-hmm. So now it's like a completely different, you know, the Kazuchika Okada look, nothing like sumo wrestler, you know, of course. you know, like a, yeah, 
Naito, Tanahashi, none of them like had small influence. But you know, we we should mention Chiono Fuji because he was one of the first sumo wrestlers to kind of look more like a wrestler. Because he was the very first sumo wrestler who had the weightlifting, uh, that the weight training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he adapted. And if people don't know who Chiono Fuji is, he was a, uh, a wrestler. A grand sumo. champion for 10 years. Oh, one of the greatest sumo ever. Yeah. Very popular. Also, if you're not familiar with sumo, he was the uh, kind of basis for the character E Honda in Street Fighter. Oh, okay. Oh, he, for the game, just game, as the video game, was. Uh, video game generation. Okay. Yes, uh, it, they wanted a, a muscular sumo wrestler, and uh, yeah, and also very friendly with professional wrestling. If you remember, a magazine had a story that the Stan Hansen, uh, you know, went to visit Chiyono Fuji at his Kokonoe Dojo. You know, mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Also, I took Korogachi to Kokonoe Bay uh, that the morning practice, five o'clock in the morning, and uh, that Kitano Fuji knew who Korogachi was, and uh, the Korogachi himself was a big sumo fan, and there were people in Japan that videotaped all the you know tournament matches and sent it to uh, to Korogachi every you know every tournament, and he was watching it at home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big sumo fan. Yeah. Like it's basically like a deadlifter, you know, like a, you put a, you know, put put arm, you know, both arm on your mawashi and you deadlift the guy and carry him out of the out of the sumo ring, you know. Mm. That's like you sumo wrestler don't look anything like, well, a lot like uh, that, uh, like a power lifter, you know, with yeah, big he, gut. I I think uh, he was very <laughs> ahead of his time, I guess, in terms of uh, training conditioning, and he really did look like. Uh, he was unique because he looked believable as uh, a sumo wrestler who could take out really big, fat sumo wrestlers. Oh, you're um, talking about Chiyono Fuji? Chiyono Fuji, he, yeah. he was like a super good-looking guy. He know? looked like a, yeah, I mean, he had, I, do you imagine? Like a samurai. If, he looked, or mean, a movie like a star. to life. Yeah, yeah. And do you think if he chose to do pro wrestling, he would have been a success? He probably was too big of a star to turn into pro wrestling. I mean, if he can run his own company and start his own league or something, maybe. But it was like, see, Ricky Dozan wasn't Yokozuna. You see, he if he was Yokozuna, uh, Ricky Dozan was a grand champion in sumo, there was no pro wrestling in Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's different. Once you hit the the highest ranking Yokozuna status in sumo wrestling, there's no, there's no going back. But you you'll stay in sumo society forever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You become part of the, you know, that you be on the board, you be on the executive of sumo association, or you run your own sumo bear and have your own stable of sumo wrestler, and you'll be with sumo world forever. Mm-hmm. But the Ricky Dozan was a kind of a loner. You know, and uh, and also something to do with his, you know, that the ethnic background too. That he'll be loner. That uh, he will take up on uh, like a more almost like an entrepreneur type of you know approach. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he brought American style professional wrestling in Japan. He knew what the television was at the time. He knew what how to run uh, like a year. You know, it got mixed with small tradition of running tournaments, you know, like a world league and, you know, chasing for the world title for like a start with you know, Japan 
the heavyweight championship against Masahiko Kimura. Then you go to King Kong and then beat Asian champion. Then eventually go to Luthes and challenge for the world title at the Korakuen Stadium. It was like a 10 year history of it. And、uh, Ricky Dozan had his own, like,、um, like almost like an accident, but the, uh, uh, like a wrestling storyline for 10 years. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. But the small culture was within that Ricky Dozan era of professional wrestling. Sure. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Um, it's like the mafia. I'm telling it's a, you, know, <laughs> I guess, yeah, once you're in, you're, you're never out. No, it's a closed、uh, community, society, but, yeah. And again, it's had an inside language altogether, yeah,、mm. and different、uh, expectations and different code of ethics than regular people, right? Expect different code of it, yeah, right? A certain way. I there's always people, I don't know if they realize this, but the outside of the Sumo Dohyo is usually a little more exciting、uh, in terms of story, if you want a storyline, because it's quite dramatic outside of、uh, the action, the drama between stables and scandals and、yeah. money disappearing.、Um, oh, the gamblers. <laughs> gamblers, or、yeah. I, I heard a story over the pandemic. There was a, a sumo wrestler who went out to a Club, hostess joint, hostess club. When、uh, yeah. he, when you're, yeah, you're supposed to be home, right? It was curfew for everybody, and、uh, I mean, like, in, in the in the rules outside of, I mean, in the regular, reg, you know, like a real world out there, don't apply to them or something.、Mm. Yeah, interesting. And, and there, and, and there is. <clears throat> would you say that throughout the years? I mean, do people? In Japan, do they view the sumo as kind of almost like an elevated sort of citizen or a special、uh, Not status? Not above, but a very different society in itself, in their own society.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Once、um, you're sumo, you're sumo, you live in the sumo society, huh? Yeah. I don't know how to express this because we're on a podcast, but、uh, if you've ever been around sumo wrestler, When they're out in public, they're, they even have a, their own smell that kind of. Oh, that's, a, that's a oil. That's a grease that they put on their the hair. hair. And yeah, it has a、yeah. very, very. b i n z a m e yeah. b i n z a m e It's like、yeah. a perfume smell or, or something like that. It's And also, they, they still wear kimono. Yep. And yeah, get、uh, yeah. out in public. Sure. Yeah, they're all different culture. Yeah.、Uh, and even the.、Um, Foreigners who become sumo wrestlers, they, they do the full on、uh, immersion into Japanese culture. Yeah. Then also, they are put in a situation where nobody speaks any English. They all, a foreign wrestler, sumo wrestler, they all speak or learn how to speak Japanese fluently. Huh?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very、be. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas American style professional wrestler, even living in Japan, Sometimes they don't pick up the language. You know? <laughs> Some did. More, more so these days.、Mm-hmm, more so、mm-hmm. these days. But,、um, well, generally, it, it just wasn't expected. Yeah. Well, actually, Stan Hansen actually spoke pretty good Japanese, but didn't let anybody know about it. <laughs>、mm. He was just in he, Japan recently, wasn't he? He still is. Yeah.、Oh, he's still there. 
Yeah, they're doing a talk show event and uh, that uh, photo events and uh, talk show events like all five, six days in a row this week still. Yeah. Uh, people, it's been three years. I mean, he, last time he was here was like a 19. Yeah. And uh, because of pandemic, it was postponed and uh, he finally is here in town and he made an appearance at the at the Budokan show at the old Japan's, you know, Budokan first time in 18, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, yeah, he was in the ring. All gray hair though now. Yeah. But still had a cowboy hat on. He still looked like Stan Hansen. Mm, still did the uh, youth. Youth! Yes, That's right. of course. Yeah. I mean, he you know, almost he's built like sumo wrestler too in his prime time. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, had a lot to do with his popularity. If you think about it, you know, he was never looking like bodybuilder type. You know, he looked more like sumo wrestler. He looked like a fighter. He looked like a, a believably tough monster. I mean, I think that's probably from his football background. Uh, he was built to knock people yeah, over. Yeah, but the, when you notice Stan Hansen, Steve Williams... Mm-hmm. Terry Gordy, Bam Bam Bigelow, Scott Norton, Vader—they all look like sumo wrestlers, somewhat. Mm-hmm. Even uh, I don't. Are you familiar with Jonah in New Japan? Yeah. He, oh yeah. Today's yeah. He, he yeah, looks like he a, could get right in there and uh, and become a sumo wrestler. Yeah, I guess so. So he doesn't have to have your WWE bodybuilder look, you know. Over here, no. this yeah, you. And Vader and Scott Norton and Bam Bam Bigelow, you'd be still be a superstar here in Japan. Yeah, the size, just the and the size. athleticism. Yeah, they mm-hmm. can move. Yeah, so Stan Hansen was one of them. Yes, interesting. Mm. And um, okay, I, uh, before we finish up, I think we should just we probably should mention the, the I guess the. What people like to talk about today when they talk about sumo in general in Japan, one of the yeah. main issues is that for a long time there haven't been strong Japanese grand champions for quite a while now. Yeah, it's all Mongolian, huh? A lot of the top wrestlers are Mongolian, and in the 90s we were talking about Akebono and, of course, Konishiki. Or Musashi, yeah. Or Asashoryu. Yeah. Asashoryu, Mongolians, yeah. Mm. So... I guess that this generation of Japanese cannot take the practice or workout, you know, like their small method, like, you know, that the younger Japanese, you know, prospect, you know, decide to not to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As the grand champions has been always been last 20 years of it. Yeah. Either from Samoa, Samoan heritage or... Or somebody from like a, a former Soviet, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, Bulgaria or yeah, yeah. There's yeah. even uh, competitors from Bulgaria and Ukraine competing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now. Georgia, yeah, yeah. Not quite American, or yeah, like a, I guess a, a Japanese athlete can find something else or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. but sumo lifestyle is so tough. Yeah, it's it's sumo is internationalized, but still it's it's very strict, and uh, there are very certain expectations of the yeah of the lifestyle. Yeah, and then when they become yokozuna, you become Japanese citizen too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Or a dual citizen, like you know, Akebono had American passport and Japanese passport. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Or some of the Mongolian guys I know they they I think they give up. I don't I don't know how it works, but they do get a full Japanese Japanese passport yeah. and Japanese yeah. name. Yeah, I guess, yeah. That's so small. Yeah. Mm. They want to keep it like it's an alien, you know, sport. Sport or the ritual, more of it. Uh do you think it's gotten less popular over the years? Uh, still pretty popular, and uh, people still watch sumo. And uh, I watch sumo during the tournament, like this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. just top ten matches. Yeah, yeah. That's still on news, sports news. They cover it. You know. Yeah, it, it almost feels like it's um, it's kind of this seasonal uh, thing. It, it, it's not just sumo, but it. It happens around the time of season. It's on in the afternoon when you get home from work or school. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like my, a, yeah, my, my father a, always had some on. Yeah. It's like an institution, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It would be weird if sumo was just gone suddenly. Oh, uh, it probably won't. No. Of course. Of course. That's why yeah, I yeah. think it would be weird that it, that just to, yeah. to paint a picture of that feeling. I mean, I, I think it's not only just uh, in Japan, but in pro wrestling, too. That connection is yeah. there. That connection is there. And the Ricky Dozen introduced this as a Seiyo Zumo. <laughs> Western Zumo. Yeah, Seiyo Zumo. Western Sumo. <laughs> and they got it right away. Oh, Western Sumo. Mm. Yeah. That was well, 1950s mentality. Well, I hope that people that listen to this can kind of, I mean, I think if you know a little bit about the way a sumo works, I think you really will start to understand a lot of the decisions. A lot of and... things are so, uh, very similar. Close society, inside languages, mm-hmm. and uh, kayfabe, you know, mentality, yeah, mindset. Camaraderie yeah. within Camaraderies, the yeah, within the business. If you want sumo wrestlers, you are outsider. Mm-hmm. You know, won't let you in. Inner circle thing, yeah. And you're expected to act a certain way, which is usually different from regular citizens. You're sometimes you're 24 seven. You're on all the time. I I guess so. Yeah, yeah. You could say that. Be it sumo, be it pro wrestling, it's there is that similarity. So yeah, yeah. In that very sense, much so. in that sense, it's more similar to sumo and it's less similar to a martial art and i think that's kind of where japanese wrestling started to get different in the you know eight, it was 70s 80s where other martial arts were introduced into pro wrestling and it started to be kind of go away from sumo because that was yeah. you know and also basic grappling yeah hmm. not striking you know what i'm saying and a lot of the techniques i mean they're they're wrestling, jujitsu yeah. techniques, judo techniques. Yeah. Uh, I mean, throwing and rolling. Yeah, even some slapping. Uh, yeah, thrust. Yeah, mm-hmm. harite. Yeah, or the tsupari. Yeah. Some of the guys, even like even like hakuho, sometimes it looks like a straight, straight right hook. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's pretty. They they go. This is it's not a thrust. A, yeah. That's, or the elbow. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. seen wrestlers get bloodied. Yeah. Pretty common. Yeah, elbow to your jaw. Oh, my eye. Yeah. It's like a misawa. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And also, uh, sumo wrestlers were falling into the crowd before the days of, you know, Lucha Libre and ECW when they fall (laughs) off the... They fall off the the, the ring. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I think it was from yesterday's highlights. There was an older fellow. Oh, yeah. Did you see what happened? The older older man that was uh, watching sumo towards the... 
towards the ring, towards the dojo, he, yeah. one of the sumo wrestlers came bowling out and he, he knocked the older guy over, but the, the old guy couldn't get up. He was kind of just stuck on his back. <laughs> you know, oh, that's, that's because they're not sitting in chairs, right? They're not sitting right. in chairs, they're sitting on pillows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zabatons, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, like uh, we were talking about Vader earlier. I mean, do you remember what happened when Vader and Inoki happened? People started throwing the uh, pillows, just sure. like in sumo. Yeah, Same for, the ups- for the big upset. So if if you're if I'm a, a foreign fan and I'm watching that and I didn't know, I would just think that all hell broke loose and people are upset about something. But you know, the, it start throwing pillows. <laughs> mm. But it, it, oh, it, it's, the most famous one was like a second year G1 climax at the Muto against Chono. You know, it was they throwing the you know pillows because they were happy. Yeah. Right, but without that yeah. kind of uh, like information beforehand, it could just look. What was that about, right? Yeah, sort of bizarre, especially yeah. compared to if you just watch WWE all the time. It's just different. That's the only thing. It's just. Oh yeah, of course. So in Japan, we're in Japan. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I hope that was educational. <laughs> okay. Well, we jumped back and forth in the 1950s and 60s and 80s, then to, you know the 2000 and dark age, and back to Ricky Dozan and all that. And I hope we made a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, and and the thing is, is with some of these guys from Sumo, we could probably talk for a long time on someone like Chiono Fuji or Akebono, just or somebody like Kitao. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or other successful sumos from a long time ago, or from or from currently. It's just there's a lot to dig into. So if you're interested in it, do your research. Go on YouTube and get right in there. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And the most successful one is Ricky Dozan and Tenru, probably, huh? And and I think Tenru is kind of the the modern version of Ricky Dozan in that he also took on that entrepreneurial spirit. Tenru was yeah. also he was he's he was a promoter he was a booker he wasn't just a, a top guy but yeah, and then also he was more modern so he ended up working in old Japan SWS and New Japan and even had a single match against Onita on you know FMW mat and mm-hmm. in the ring and he had his own company WAR and he worked it all you know or even WWF. worked hustle WWF yeah. and hustle yeah hustle that's right yeah and that too so he had yeah Tenru did it all. And his retirement match was against Kazuchika Okada to close the chapter. That's right. So oh, many different wow. generations. I think so. Yeah. Uh, he, he's the doing okay in, uh, these in, days. In modern history. Yeah, but he just had a surgery. You know that the spine injury. After all. Yeah, yeah. that's rough. Yeah, well, yeah. Hope he'll you know he'll come out you know and uh, come in front of fans again. Yeah. I, you know, I believe, I think there's a, a Tenru Project show coming up, isn't there? Yeah, it happened, but the Tenru didn't show up. Oh, okay, just it his made, uh, daughter. Yeah, made an uh, announcement. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, but uh, they, they hand out the leaflet, you know, the letter, you know, and the greeting from Tenru, you know, and sorry for not being here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still very much being loved. All right, yeah. well. That's the influence of sumo and pro wrestling. So I, I think we hit a lot of and the crossover culture and fusion points. Yeah. yeah. So if you have questions yeah. or, or comments or, or anything, yeah, we can, could do it again. Yeah. I'm sure if we have questions, where can we find you 
on uh, at, uh, on Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumi Saito on uh, Facebook. Please message me first. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M Nipper, K N I P P E R. All right, that's it. So Sumo is in the books. So until next week, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Yeah.